Siobhan Chapman here, and welcome to the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Today's discussion is focused on mental health as we acknowledge Mental Health Awareness Month, a month that has been nationally recognized for over 70 years to raise awareness and minimize the stigma around mental health. Joining us for the conversation today is Amy Holmes, America's Advisory Council Project Manager. Amy, welcome. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you, Siobhan. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So let's get started. So you've been doing this for quite some time. Correct. Can you tell me what led you to become a mental health advocate? Absolutely. Um, In 2009, I met a man on the Internet. Um, Okay, the longer version of that story is um, I met the man who's now my husband on eHarmony. Beautiful. And uh, he was in the process of writing his memoir about his lifelong struggle with severe mental illness depression, hospitalization, and self-injury. And um, I, I literally learned everything from talking to him and learning about his story. And then when his memoir was published, we started uh, traveling together and um, people had as many questions for me as they did for my husband. Right. What's it like to live with someone with severe mental illness? You know, what is what is your role in his care? Things like that. And so through that process, I, um, I came to really enjoy mental health advocacy and to realize that uh, every time we have a conversation about mental illness, it, it can lead to hopeful healing uh, action. Absolutely. And it's good that you were also asked questions because your role is also very, very important. You're also affected. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so it was really um, part of our partnership and part of our love story, learning to 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 manage our care together, because the work that I did, the work that I've done, the conversations that we've had um, as advocates led me to recognize early symptoms of depression in myself wow. and to understand that I actually have been dealing with anxiety my entire life and just didn't have have a name for it. Before you even met him. Before I even met him, exactly. Wow, that's am- that's amazing that you were able to really dig deep and find that within yourself. Yeah, I just thought it was a superpower because <laughs> um, I plan ahead, I plan everything out. I I always have snacks on me. I always have, you know, I think about all the contingencies. Turns out that's actually anxiety, but um, but also that's a constructive way to to uh, direct that anxious energy. So I, I figured out how to turn that into a superpower. And I love that. Turn that into a superpower. I'm, I'm going to use that for sure. Excellent. So as we talk about mental health, I feel like I would be doing a disservice if I didn't ask about the impact. Who is impacted by mental illness? Are there any communities that are disproportionately affected? Absolutely. That's, that's a great question. Truly, the statistics say one in five adults will be diagnosed or struggle with mental ill health in any given year. Wow. And chances are someone you know and someone close to you has struggled or is struggling with some form of mental ill health. And when my husband and I, when we do our speeches, he always says it's one degree. It's never a friend of a friend of a friend. It's always my aunt, my father, my uncle, my cousin. It's always someone you know one-to-one disproportionately, I do think that many of our minority uh, communities do see an, um, a higher 
percentage of mental ill health, a lot of that has to do with stigma, a lot of that has to do with culture, particularly when you think of Latin cultures. Understanding, accepting, and discussing mental ill health is often, it's just not done in in a lot of cases. Absolutely. But also when you think about access to care, access to support diagnostics, it's also a challenge for those who, uh, who, who don't have medical benefits. Even within network benefits, it can be very hard to get an appointment with a doctor and um, make a connection with a therapist. So studies have shown that the, the finance industry has a disproportionately high level of suicide and burnout and other forms of stress-related depression and illness. Wow. And um, it's, it's quite the challenge when you, when you think, especially, you know, what we've seen in our industry in the last 15, 20 years, um, how, how, people, how people respond to the stresses and the crises that we've, that we've seen. Absolutely. And so as you bring that up, I want to talk about stigma because stigma plays such a big, big role in people's apprehension of even having the conversation about mental health, you know, whether if it's in a professional setting or sometimes even a personal one. Mm-hmm. How do you see stigma impacting people's response to mental health, whether it's their own, a loved one, a colleague, anyone? Stigma is is an interesting, um, it, it's a real challenge because we we stigmatize ourselves we quite do. often. We do. We are afraid to um, let it be known. And I think in the business world in particular, we're afraid to be weak. And I think this is the, one of the challenges in the finance industry. We're afraid to be perceived as weak by our managers, our colleagues, our clients. And so we, we want to keep that hidden and private. But why it's important is um, firms like UBS, we have many, many tools to support um, colleagues, uh, employees, and their families. So often uh, people think of it as a moral failing to have a mental illness. Right. You, you are deficient in some way. You are, are lazy or under-motivated or um, just not willing to put in the effort. And, and that, that is so hard to change that opinion. It really is about chemicals. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that is so challenging with mental ill health, particularly depression, which is where I obviously have the most experience, mm-hmm. is your symptoms come and go. Or they come in waves or they, they go up and down. And so for myself, I will have periods where I, I show up to work. I get my work done. I'm a high performer. I have always been a high performer here at UBS. And yet at home, I can't do anything. Mm. I, I, um, I have one clean spot and that is where my desk camera points. And the rest of my house is a disaster area. And for me, that is a symptom of depression, is that I, I really struggle sometimes to be motivated enough to clean my house. The challenge is I only have enough energy to continue to excel at work. Absolutely. And when that's used up, I don't have enough energy 
at home. For yourself. For myself and my husband. And we do, we are incredibly supportive of each other. And one of the reasons that um, how mental health is integrated into our love story is we have always been really honest. And we can say, Mm -hmm. I am so stressed out right now, I can't do this. Or I can say, you seem really stressed out, how can I help you? That's beautiful. And we, we pay attention and we're always honest about it. So, um, you know, that's that's one thing. But, yeah, stigma in the workplace is a huge challenge. One of the best ways to combat stigma is to simply have a conversation. When I first started talking about my husband's book, when we first met, and he really was afraid to talk about his history or have me share that right. history, um, I would tell people, well, he's writing a book about his history of depression. And that's when people would be like, oh, my mother, my, you know, and that's when people would come to they me share. with that right. one. And, and that's when I started to realize having those conversations made people feel less isolated. It gave people a sense of connection. Right. And that's what circles back to why we started a uh, employee mental health resource network you are not the only high-performing professional who has in their life a mental health concern. Whether that's your own concern, your family member, even a colleague or a direct report. Right. And one of the things that has been important to my success is having a line manager who demonstrates a duty of care. I have worked with line managers who very much care about me as an individual, about my goals, and have the understanding that my success is our success. Throughout the pandemic, our senior leaders regularly talked about our mental well-being. They talked about taking care of ourselves. We had weekly town halls. And there was always a representative from HR to talk about our benefits. It's important. A senior leader who is willing to stand at an all-hands meeting or, you know, a monthly team meeting and say, we're going to talk about this. They don't have to have their own experience. They don't have to have their own story. Right. But just to say, oh, we brought in uh, an expert to talk to you, it shows that they're accepting of that conversation. You know, it does help with the idea of destigmatizing this. Exactly. And I love what you said in the very beginning of how it comes in waves. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll be one day you could be, you know, feeling great on a high and then the next day not so much. And I think it's important to realize that even the healing process is also going to come in waves. It's not linear. Absolutely. It is not linear. And it really comes down to, and I know this has become a buzzword, but a lot of it comes down to self-care and the strategies of self-care, but that's so much more than spa days and wine. Right. So So much much more more than that, right? It is. And sometimes those buzzwords, they do help, you know, bring it into the lexicon, you know, let's have this conversation. So one of my favorite quotes is, it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. How do you embrace that, and what is your perspective on self-care and mental health days? The hardest thing is giving yourself permission to be fearless, um, and that's mm. something that I have done. It's why I can have these conversations. It's why I can stand in front of a room of 200 people and talk about my, you know, my experience with depression. Self-care is the process or the rhythm of caring for yourself. 
Mm. And so, you know, we joke, it's spa days and wine, it's going to the nail salon. That's true. But it's also taking your medication, getting your exercise, eating properly, downtime. When we think about mental health days, there is a stigma there as well. Um, It circles back to how much we have to disclose to our line manager. When you need to take a sick day, you can just tell your line manager, I am taking a sick day. And that is the That's end. Right. <laughs> that is the end of the information Don't have to divulge, they right. require. But people feel like they feel like, well, if the boss finds out, they're going to think I'm just slacking. However, you know, they're provided by the firm for you to take care of yourself. Right. And so, if you need to use that sick time because you just need to recharge, then that's appropriate. That's an appropriate use of that time. There's a line, but I definitely, you know, if if I have a day where I'm just really struggling, I will take a sick day or I will take a half day. <laughs> but all of that that the next day I come back and I'm better for it. Absolutely. And, and why that's important is I've done the other way where I'm like I'm just going to plow through, plow through, plow through, I'll get better. My work suffers. My attention suffers. My detail suffers. I was having a conversation with my therapist, and she said something very interesting to me that when I have when I have those relaxing days, if I'm constantly thinking about everything that I have to do, like I'm not relaxing, and I'm not really worrying about what is best for myself. Mm-hmm. So I I love your idea of yes, there's also the spa days, but are we taking care of ourselves? Mm-hmm. Are we taking our medicine? Are we relaxing? That's very, very important. Are we using our allocated vacation time? Yes. Right. I am I am a big proponent of using all of my vacation days. And I also want to thank you for being fearless and um, discussing that you also see, see a therapist. Um, I joke, my therapist is a girlfriend. I pay not to judge me. Um, I've, I've been with her for 10 years, and we really have a very – she's really helped me just find the sources of my anxiety, the sources of my stress and, and root them out and, and figure out how to, how to work around them. I love that. Yeah. And I'm definitely using that, a girlfriend that doesn't judge me. Yes. I love that. <laughs> um, so we talked about resources, but is there anything else you would like to share? What other resources that people can look into? Absolutely. Most firms in the U.S., and I, and I think this is true of global firms and in, in you know, most, um, most countries, have an employee assistance program, usually called EAP. And what this is is, again, it's a benefit provided by the firm. It's a third party, and they exist to support employees in crisis. What's really great about the EAP is that, um, at least here at UBS, um, they will help you find a mental health professional. They will help you find a mental health professional for yourself, your child, anyone in your household. It is That is their purpose. Um, but additionally, they're there to support you in so many other ways. Um, something has happened and you need a lawyer. You're relocating for a new job at UBS. You um, 
I've I've absolutely had conversations with people seeking elder care for their parents, um, hospice care for a parent. And so the EAP is great. The important thing, tell this to everybody, it is confidential. The EAP is a third party. UBS contracts them. Most firms, that's how it works. It's a third party contracted by the firm. Right. And they um, they only report how many people call or reach out and what services uh, might have been used. There's no report of who or specifically what. Right. So it's All very confidential. Broad. That's internal. Um, many firms like ours do have a mental health uh, resource network, employee resource network. We call ours Mental Wealth. We are a bank. Um, so we, we thought we were very clever with that one. Um, and then also um, here at UBS, and, and, you know, this is a growing uh, a, a growing phenomenon, but we have uh, employees, volunteers, who are certified in mental health first aid. And here we call them our, our mental health champions. Um, I am one. And um, it's a really great... It, it, the role of the mental health champions is to be a bridge between the now and the next. These are mm-hmm. these are just people like you and me. They're not therapists. They're people who've who've taken a course and learned to have a non-judgmental conversation. They've learned to understand what resources are available to people and how to support people to get to the next level, right, or the next layer of treatment. So it truly is a first aid, like you know, a band-aid or a splint, and then they help. That's great. Externally, looking outside of the firm, there are so many, many resources. I think the most important one is last year, the Suicide Prevention Helpline went to a three-digit number, 988. That's it. 988 is now the number to call for uh, suicide prevention. You can call it. I encourage you to call it if you are feeling um, in any way that you are unsafe to yourself or others. You can call it if if someone you know is also seems to be struggling in in that direction. So 988 is a huge, um, you know, just very important. Another one that a lot of people don't know about is 211. Oh. 211 is local social services. It's local everywhere, almost everywhere in the United States. And so if you are in New York City and you call 211, you will connect to New York City social services and they can help you find care and support. They can help direct you to um, different resources for different things. If you make that same call in um you know, in Dallas, two one one, it is local. I live in the middle of Connecticut. If if I make that call in Stores, Connecticut, right, home of Yukon, we <laughs> get the uh, you know you get the local you get the local services. So two one one is an amazing, um, little known social uh, community services center. And then finally, I, I have to mention um, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And Mental Health America. These are two of the most powerful nonprofit mental health organizations in in America. Um, 
National Alliance on Mental Illness, usually called NAMI or NAMI, depending on your accent, um, is it's an amazing organization. They do research. They have support groups. They have trainings and lessons and um, peer-to-peer conversations. Um, it's it's a great place to go as a parent of a child struggling with mental ill health, as the spouse, the sibling, any of that. It's a great place to connect with people who understand, who have similar experiences. Um, it also has local chapters, but they have a national national as well. We have a really strong relationship with uh, NAMI New York City. Um, they are an amazing group of people, and not only do they have the supports for community as well as um, helplines and uh, crisis support and community services and um coursework and and things like that, they also have a group specifically focused on mental well-being in the workplace. And so one of their initiatives is they call it the Wall Street Collaborative. It's a collection of financial services um, firms, some local, some global, coming together to understand best practices, learn from each other, and then try to spread that to our industry, try to to bring that to everyone. That is amazing. There are so many resources out there. There are so much at our disposal, and sometimes we don't even know. That's why these conversations are so important. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us, Amy. Again, we have been joined by Amy Holmes, America's Advisory Council Project Manager. And thank you to our listeners. This has been a UBS Conversations podcast for Mental Health Awareness Month, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as a UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Siobhan Chapman, and thank you for joining us. The material presented in this podcast has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. It is intended to be educational in nature. It is not an advertisement, nor is it a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments or to participate in any particular trading strategy, nor should it be viewed as such by the listener. UBS AG or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. None of UBS or its representatives is suggesting that the recipient or any other person take a specific course of action or any other action at all in response to this podcast. By accessing and listening to this podcast, the listener acknowledges and agrees with the intended purpose described here and disclaims any expectation or belief that the information constitutes investment advice or a solicitation of any kind. Any financial instruments or services described in this podcast may not be eligible for sale in all jurisdictions or to certain categories or investors. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Incorporated offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct 
differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review client relationship summary provided at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary or ask your UBS financial advisors for a copy.